can customize anything I want to me, including my TV package. Everything is according to how I feel it should be. But in this customize it to me culture, how has that shaped our view of God? I just was reading this article this week, and it said that while 80% of Christians believe in God, 56% when shown the God of the Bible said, yep, that's the God I serve. Leading, leaving us 24% who had customized their own God but was not the God that we are presented here in Scripture. And so this morning, we want to dive deep as we continue to look at this is us, what do we believe? We're going to take some time to look at who is God because the Bible said so. Because customize your own tacos are amazing. Customize your own God is very dangerous. So let's pray. God, I thank you that this must be a very exciting question for you when your children come before you and say, God, who are you in your fullness? Because you've promised us over and over in your word that when we seek you, we're going to find you. When we seek you with all of our hearts. And so this morning, God, would you help us to seek you with all of our hearts. I thank you that you declared yourself to be our spirit of truth. And so this morning, would you lead and guide us into all truth. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So in a world of zero absolutes, how do we stay grounded in what we believe about who God is? And so just like we did two weeks ago before Father's Day, we're going to take our statement of faith and we're going to kind of use that to guide our discussion and our exploration this morning. Here we go. The Godhead exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God having the same nature and attributes and are worthy of the same homage, confidence, yes, confidence and obedience. Now, I'm not sure if there any truth in Scripture that's more mind-breaking than the Trinity of three in one. And we've tried really hard over human history to try and describe this. How many in Sunday school or children's church were shown the egg? How many were shown an apple? The apple was another one. In fact, when I teach, I use a triangle because you need something with kids, but all of them are faulty. And this is why. If we served a God who could be completely understood, he would cease to be God. And if our frail and limited minds could fully comprehend and digest all that he is, it would mean that he too is limited. And he's not. And so this is one of those truths, and there are a lot out there, that just take a leap of faith. That we will never really understand. 
but we're going to try and digest it a little bit, and then we're going to look into the three persons of the Trinity. So God is one, but he is three distinct persons. Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Each fully God, meaning that each is no more or less than the other. Each are completely unique in personhood and role, but they are all one. In Matthew 3, 16 to 17, we see all three persons of the Trinity together at the baptism of Jesus. This is what it says. And I am only going to flip to the Gospels because we're flipping a lot through here. And if you have your version app on your phone, you'll be able to flip to them far faster than I'll be able to flip paper. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, who I'm, I love. With him, I am, am well pleased. And this is one of the beautiful moments where we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present to human eyes at the same time. And I think it's here for a really crucial reason. One, many, I guess. One of them being that we can be tempted to view the Trinity as three roles of one God. Like I am mom and wife and pastor, but I am just Lisa. Or we can be tempted to think that we have one God who morphs throughout time, right? We see Father God in creation, and then it's still Father God. He just changes to Jesus and comes and walks among us, and he goes to heaven, and it's still the same person. He just becomes the Holy Spirit who's with us now, and that would all be faulty. That's not the case. We have three distinct persons, a God. And we see all three here simultaneously in Scripture. And I think it's there for our benefit to say there really are three in one. Because while they are very much three separate persons, they are still entirely one God. They are not three gods with the names Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one a, singular, undivided, without hierarchy, without contradiction, contradiction, God, because he's one. In Matthew 28, verse 19, you know this, it's the Great Commission. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit interesting. Go and baptize them in the name. Not in the names. In the name because God is one. And if we are commissioned in the fullness of God and he's declaring himself as singular name then we can be confident that he truly is one. And so no illustration could ever touch this. That he is three in one, three unique, different persons of one God. There is nothing in our view 
of broken humanity that could reach the complexity and yet the simplicity of that for us. And so we don't have time to dig deep into this. We are just going to skim the surface of these. And if you have any questions, uh, Lucas or myself will be happy to walk through them with you. But we are just going to look at each individual person of the Trinity and their role. Again, three persons, one God. No more than, no less than the others. One God. Equal and undivided. Is your brain hurting yet? We're going to go to the easy part now. We started hard, and we're going up. God the Father. The Father exists eternally as the creator of heaven and earth, the giver of the law to whom all things will be subjected, so that he may be all in all. And we see Father God at work right at the beginning of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see God the Father, really in our literature, we see a lot of writings of him in the Old Testament, guiding the Israelites in their earliest days. Now, were Jesus and the Holy Spirit not present? Absolutely not. They're present in the Old Testament. Do we see God the Father at work in the New Testament? Yes, we do. So don't think he is contained there. He's not. But we see a lot of the writings of him here for our benefit. And so we see him guiding Israel. We see him handing down the law to Moses. We see him in creation. When we think of our sovereign king, who we are really thinking of is God the Father. We're told in 1 Corinthians that everything is going to be under him as our sovereign. 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says, When he has done this, then the Son himself, Jesus, will be made subject to him who put everything under him. So God put everything under Jesus. Jesus is going to submit to God the Father so that God may be all in all. And there's this beautiful submission to one another in the Godhead. It's just, if you think of equality and humility, you don't have to look much further than the Godhead. It's beautiful. Absolutely stunning in how they are truly three in one. Again, one God. But we see this idea of all things coming to subjugation under him. And right now, we know, we're told, where is Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Who gets seated in the middle? A king. Right? So we see this understanding of Father God as our sovereign, the ruler of all. The first person listed in the Trinity, creator, the law, the king. Which brings us to Jesus, the Son. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal and only begotten Son of the Father, is true God and true man. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and by his sinless life, miracles, and teaching gave full revelation of the Father. He died upon the cross, the just for the unjust, 
as a substitution sacrifice. He rose from the dead. He is now at the right hand of the majesty on high as our great high priest. He will come again to establish his kingdom in righteousness and peace. God made flesh. And just like God the Father, we have to realize that Jesus was present in the Old Testament. In fact, all of the Godhead was present long before any of our written records because God was around. He never had a beginning. He was existent far before the creation that he created. And just in case we're tempted to ascribe to him our humanity where we began at our conception, we have this in John 1, 1. Flip through there with me. Here we go. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was with God, or the word was God. He was God in the beginning. And John's saying, hey, listen to what I'm going to tell you. I'm about to write for you all about the life and death of Jesus, but don't be fooled. He didn't begin in the stable. He was far before this. He was there at creation. He was there far before creation. He always was. He always is. And he always will be because he's fully God. Part of this mind-breaking trinity. In Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, it said, Who being in very nature God, Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Equally, fully God, no more, no less, he chose to come and reveal God to us by becoming man. Further on in John chapter 1 in verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He didn't begin there, and his story's not over at the end of the Gospels because that's where we really see Jesus in our literature in the biggest way here in the Gospels. Is he present in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Is he present in the rest of the New Testament? Absolutely. And is his story done yet? No. It's not. But we see him here for our benefit in this beautiful story of redemption. Because Jesus is our redeemer. That God alone could look down on humanity and say, their sin needs to be punished. Right? If we look at our kids and we just let them get away with everything and there are no consequences for their actions, we don't love them. And we are children and we have a holy and righteous God who cannot allow 
that which is unrighteous into perfection. Only that which had been redeemed, only that which had been sanctified can go to heaven with him for eternity. So in the Old Testament, we saw this beautiful band-aiding where God, in his wisdom, waiting for the fullness of time and knowing it wasn't now, made a way that people could be reconciled to him. But the only permanent solution was going to be if God himself came and paid our price, if he took our punishment on his shoulders and shielded it from us with his own body. And so he did. And he went to the cross and he suffered a criminal's death because that is really what we deserve. And he really died. It wasn't figurative. He really died. And he really came back to life. It wasn't figurative. It's not literary. That's pivotal for us. The death and resurrection of Jesus. And then, because he had conquered death, he ascended to heaven. Where right now he's waiting, once again, for the fullness of time. So that he can come back. And take those who have become righteousness through his sacrifice. To be with him in heaven. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We love fairness, don't we? And yet God is completely unfair. Have you ever thought about it? But unfair in this way. He says, here, give me your greed. I'm going to give you my generosity. Here, give me your hate and I'm going to give you my love. Here. Give me your anger and I'm going to give you my peace. Here, give me your lust and I'm going to give you my purity. He's completely unfair in the fact that he lets us get all of the best while he took all of the worst. He is an unfair God and how lucky are we that he is. Because through him we get to be the righteousness of Jesus. Through him, the perfection of who God is gets to be ours. And we can claim it and we can live it because he is so good. In Hebrews 1, verse 8, it says, But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom because it's coming. Jesus is coming. He conquered death and he conquered sin and he conquered the grave. He is coming once again as our conqueror. The end of time, one more time, at the fullness of time, he's coming back to establish a new kingdom 
one where this broken system that we've lived under, all of our worth won't be there. Because we will serve a real king. And not the prince of this earth, the prince of darkness who wants to deceive us into thinking that he is king. No. When the kingdom of God comes for once and for all, never thought about that how amazing it's going to be we won't even need a sun because the glory of God is going to be so amazing that it will light up everything think about a world where there's nothing but perfect there's nothing but love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness. What a hope we have. And again, in case we are tempted to think that maybe Jesus is just the newest name of the God that we are interacting with, Jesus himself says in John 10:30, I and the Father are one. Three persons, one God, no more, no less. Each fully God, but completely one. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Which leads us to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also God, performing actions and possessing the attributes of the deity. His personality is shown by the fact that he has personal characteristics and that individuals may relate to him as a person. Over the last year, we've been studying the person of the Holy Spirit on Sunday nights. And this really may be the trickiest of the th all three persons of the Trinity because we often misunderstand Holy Spirit. If anything like wacky or strange happens, we typically ascribe it to Holy Spirit. Even if he's standing there being like, that's not me. We tend to kind of give him the bad rap of all of the weird stuff. And sometimes we even depersonify him. Don't look it up. It's not a real word. I made that up. Um, because I couldn't find any other word that really grabbed this thought. And here's what I mean. Often we don't treat Holy Spirit as a person. We treat him as an energy or a force or just like the will of God going out somehow mystically. And when we do that, when we depersonify the Holy Spirit, we can be tempted to think that we can conjure him up or we can do something to like kind of push it to happen. Right? Like the Holy Spirit will show up if we sing this song. It always works. Especially if that, we have that really amazing drum build right in the middle. And the Holy Spirit will just come up. And that's depersonifying Holy Spirit. That's treating him as less than who he is. And over and over in scripture, we see instances where the Holy Spirit is referred to as a person. We're shown that he has a will. 
We're shown that he has emotions. We're shown he has an intellect. We're shown he has a personality. We give him personal pronouns. Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a he. He's a person. And so just like when we come before God the Father or God the Son, we have to come before Holy Spirit with reverence and awe and submission too. Because he's fully God, no more and no less than. And I say that because this is really the part where we see that happen. I was born into PAOC. And the less than is how we often treat Holy Spirit. Like you have father and son, and then you have errand boy Holy Spirit off here. And that's wrong. And I don't know anything that could grieve the heart of God more than when we depersonify him and make him something that's far less than what he truly is. Because we see Holy Spirit really, again, in literature, coming alongside the early church, walking us to righteousness, walking us to Jesus. And so, you know, when you really break it down, is it any wonder that the enemy of our soul, that the father of lies would come and say, he's not really God. Just think that you can do this and he'll show up, which means that we control him instead of vice versa. If Holy Spirit walks us to the cross and he's the one that bursts righteousness in us, is it any wonder that the enemy of our soul and the father of lies would whisper a customize your own God idea into our head so that we wouldn't seek him, so that we wouldn't submit to that still small voice pointing out sin, so that we wouldn't come before him with reverence and awe and wait on him as the God who deserves to be waited on rather than demand of him when we think he's less than. And he's not. I love Holy Spirit. And in John 16, 7, Jesus says, but truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Jesus is looking at all the people and he's like, don't be sad that I'm leaving. You don't understand. Something better is coming for you. Right now, I can be in one place with you. But I'm telling you, unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I do go, I'm going to send him. It's going to be for your benefit. Because all I do is good. And we could take years to go through what Holy Spirit does in our lives. And I would love to, but I want to give you a fast list. Okay, are you ready? He leads us in righteousness. He's the representative of the Godhead to us today. He gives us wisdom and understanding. He introduces us to Jesus and bursts salvation in our hearts. He brings the fruit of salvation to, fr to fruition. He's our comforter. He counsels us. He guides us. He's our representation before God. He provides grace. He aids us in glorifying God. He shows us what is true. He tells us 
what is to come. He's the bringer of life. He's our purifier. He's the spirit of adoption, bringing us to sonship with the Father. He's the author of the Bible. He's our teacher. He's our witness. He's the giver of life. He directs the work of the harvest, leading us to places that will make a difference. He's our sanctification. He moves in might and power among us in signs and miracles. He empowers us to do his work. He communes with us. He refreshes us, and that's not even exhaustive. Right? So I'm serious. No more than, no less than. One God. Three persons. Fully God. Because God is vast. He's limitless. And he is beyond understanding. And if our limited and flawed minds could he would cease to be God, and we wouldn't need him. So this is what we believe. The Godhead exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, having the same nature and attributes, and are worthy of the same homage, confidence, and obedience. The Father exists eternally as the creator of heaven and earth, the giver of the law, to whom all things will be subjected, so that he may be all in all. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal and only begotten Son of the Father, is true God and true man. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and by his sinless life, miracles and teaching gave full revelation of the Father. He died upon the cross, the just for the unjust, as a substitution sacrifice, and he rose from the dead. He is now at the right hand of the majesty on high as our great high priest, and he will come again to establish his kingdom in righteousness and peace. The Holy Spirit is also God performing actions and possessing the attributes of the deity. His personality is shown by the fact that he has personal characteristics and that individuals may relate to him as a person. And this is, again, not an exhaustive statement, but it's the basis of all we believe. And we could take years and just talk about who God is. And that's why church is important. It's why this gathering of community is important, but more than this gathering, it's why small groups of people gathered together is important. Because we need to be regularly digging deep into who God is and who we are and how that all works, because the Bible tells me so. And so there's safety in going through that with a group of people. There's accountability. There's a place for questions and answers as you go through a journey together. God's not a just-believe-it-because-I-said-so God. He's a God big enough to answer your questions. He's a God big enough to allow you a journey of figuring it out. And he's made us for communities so that we'd have safe people to do that side by side with. So are you part of a small group of people that you trust that can dig deep together that can care for one another, 
that can be accountability to one another. Because you know what? This customize it to me culture means that I can very easily justify not just my belief systems, I can justify my sin. Very easily. It's just me being me. And so I desperately need, and I'm so thankful that I found people within this church that can call me on it. I remember a phone conversation. I'm bawling. And one of you said, it's okay to cry, but you're done now. <laughs> Wipe your eyes. Trust that God knows what he's doing. And carry on. We all need somebody to say, you're done now. So where in your calendar, and unfortunately, it's June, and all of our small groups are kind of done. But the beauty of that is it gives you two months to look at the rhythms of your week and say, hey, you know what? On this night, we never have anything happening. You know it would be really great to fill that spot with? Community and digging deep into the word of God and praying for one another and having people who can care for me. So I'm going to challenge you over this summer. Start looking at the rhythms of your week. Because if Sunday is the only time that we come for course correction, guys, we're going to be a customize our own faith. And while it's great for ice cream Sundays, dangerous for Christianity. And I believe that our God is worth pursuing and that he's willing and desiring to open our eyes to all that he is. So I'm going to pray for you and I just would like to ask the worship team and our board to come forward and we're going to take communion together this morning. So God, I thank you that you do want to be found. And you have not hidden yourself from us. You've given us your word. Holy Spirit, you are here now to guide us into all truth. You are so good to us. And would you help us to be convinced of all that you are? Three persons, one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No more than, no less than. But one God. And would you help us to pursue you as you deserve to be pursued and to hunger and thirst for more understanding of who you are. Because you are so vast, it will take a lifetime. But we get a lifetime. We get more than a lifetime. We get eternity to explore all of who you are. So now, God, as we just prepare for communion, would you search us? And would you know us? Would you test us? 
and see if there's any offensive way in us. And Holy Spirit, would you bring to the forefront of our mind right now anything that we need to make right with you before we partake in this tradition of remembering your broken body and your shed blood. For we want to do it, God, with a pure heart. And Jesus, you died so that we could have your righteousness. We could put it on over top of our flawed humanity. God, I thank you for revealing sin to us. And now would you just help us to be reflective and grateful as we worship you together.